a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. So here we have the the promise of the virgin birth already. And, and now it says that he, this promised seed, shall bruise you, the serpent, on the head. So this, and you will bruise him on the heel. So uh, this is talking about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. So this is the first gospel. What in the world? The Lord's Supper is to help rediscover your innate goodness? Holy smokes. That's like saying that glasses are to make sure you can't see. It's like saying your shoes are there to make sure you can't walk. It's like saying it's like saying a boat is there so that you sink to the bottom of the ocean. That's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. Councilman Darren Layton. Thank you, Mayor. On balance, I think as far as whether we do it on the 6th or the 12th, it matters about as much as my collection of Table Talk radio points. The positive alternative to jackhammer noises, this is Table Talk Radio. And Pastor Wolfmiller, I am worried for you today. Oh, yeah? Why? Because today we're doing a little uh, Iron Preacher. And what? you preacher? You <laughs> have met your match today. Let me first introduce the challenger to Iron Preacher. Pastor Chris Roseborough is a pastor of, uh, oh, Chris, I just spaced. Consvinger uh, Lutheran Church. Church in Oslo, Minnesota. Is that correct? Yeah. He also wears an eye patch because he's the pirate, the the, the lead captain there at uh, Pirate Christian Radio at piratechristian.com and uh, host of the daily internet radio program Fighting for the Faith. That's quite the uh, quite the resume. Chris, welcome to Table Talk Radio. Thanks for having me, Evan. This should be fun. I'm curious what what preparations did you uh, did you go through to get ready for today's match? Forty days of fasting. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, hey, that's close to my prep. I just finished reading Forty Days of Purpose. So. <laughs> oh, Yay, this, this ought to be good. Uh, of course, our our judge for Iron Preacher is Dr. Carl Fickincher. He's uh, P- professor of homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Fikenter, always great to have you on. Always a pleasure, Evan. Thank you so much. Well, I want to get right to the text because um, we, these preachers need to get to work. They have limited time as it is. So the the uh, reading for today's sermon for Iron Preacher comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53, and that text reads thusly. While he was still speaking, behold, a multitude came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached the Jews to kiss him. Uh, Excuse me, approached Jesus to kiss him, rather. Uh, But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And then those who were around him saw what was going to happen. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And a certain one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the and the power of darkness are yours. So that is the text. Go ahead and start your sermon preparation to the uh, to the preachers, 
And Dr. Brickenter, we get about uh, seven minutes with you before uh, before we right. hear the preaching. And uh, I was curious as you as you prepare for sermons, uh, and you're reading through the text, maybe even doing uh, the translation work from the original language. What questions do you ask of the text to really get at the main point and work when you're trying to hone in on a, a sermon theme? Yeah, great question. Well. Uh, there's a lot of background that goes into it. Of course, you bring a lot of things to the experience or to the to the table each time based on experience. Like here, when we've got them looking at one of the passion uh, elements, uh, you know, you're considering that right away. You're always considering the context, the situation in which it takes place. If it's during Holy Week or this time on Monday, Thursday night, as as Jesus is being arrested, you're always looking at that because you want to want to grasp what the, the the bigger picture is, where it fits in Jesus' ministry, where it fits in in Paul's work, Paul's writing, uh, where it fits in the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. So that's always something you bring. Also, the liturgical setting is significant. You you do want to be aware of whether this is going to be a, a Sunday morning during the Pentecost season or, let's say, in this case, perhaps a Wednesday evening during Lent or something like that, uh, because that affects the way the hearers come to the sermon. If it's a Sunday morning during the the, the, the lengthy Pentecost season, they come without a lot of real focused expectations uh, about what the sermon will address. And so you're going to start from a pretty broad, kind of wide range of possibilities in their minds. If it is a Wednesday evening during Lent, that's much more focused. That's a, the sort of thing when they know that we are, we are taking the journey with Christ to the cross. We're only X many weeks away from Good Friday and then Easter following. And so that sort of thing also affects their expectation. So you always want to consider the liturgical setting as well before you even really get into the text as, as a specific portion to look at for the sermon. Then, when I get into the text, and you kind of know, Evan, this is, this is sort of my approach, I'm always looking for the problem in the text. Now, that's not intended to be negative or something, but it is saying that every text is predicated on the fall into sin. The entire Bible is God fixing the situation that we messed up so desperately with our sin, and the fix is always going to be in Christ, in his cross. So, I'm always looking for what kind of problem is involved there. Is it a problem where the text shows that a particular person in the text is guilty of some particular sin? Or where, let's say, an epistle text, St. Paul is writing to uh, Christians in a particular congregation, which could very well be pointing to us and saying, you are guilty of some particular sin. Or is it looking for a situation where the effects of sin are being described, where it doesn't necessarily point the finger to say, um, you Ephesians are guilty of this or that kind of sin, but there are uh, persecutions that you're facing. Or the, in the, the church in Philippi, for example, where Paul is writing from prison, Paul is in a situation where, where things are being done to him that are the effects of sin. And that could be the problem that needs to be addressed. So I'm always looking for that kind of problem. And, and in very broad terms, it's, it's something that directly accuses or else something that describes the effects that sin have upon us. And then once we see whatever the very specific problem is in the text, we always ask ourselves, then, how does Christ crucified give the answer? And sometimes it's very explicit in the text, sometimes not so much. But the answer is always Christ because Jesus, by his death on the cross, has removed the sin that separated us from God. And when we are 
reconciled with God, when sin no longer separates us from God, then we know that God is going to be with us in whatever the situation is. If the, the problem in the text is some kind of direct accusation, you are guilty of this or that kind of sin, then, of course, the cross announces that Jesus took that sin upon himself, and we're going to answer that particular sin very directly from the cross with forgiveness. But if it's, if it's another kind of problem uh, that is describing the effects of sin, then it's still the case that Jesus' death on the cross, by reconciling us to God, assures us that God is going to be with us now in this time of trial, this, this persecution, in this illness that we're facing, uh, in this stress that we're undergoing, whatever the case may be. So after I look at the, the background, the context, the liturgical situation, then as I study the text, I'm always asking, what is really the problem here that is being addressed, and how is Christ crucified the answer to that problem? Now, we just have a couple minutes before our break, um, I, 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 and I know that our preachers are, are working so hard that they're not even listening, so we're not going to give them any tips um, during, during this interview. Um, but uh, I, I threw them a little bit of a curveball because uh, I you gave did. them a text that. that does not have a lot of you know Jesus teaching. It's not describing the parables. It's uh, an account of, of a historical event that actually happened. How does this bring a difficulty to the preacher? Uh, that's a great question because as you were, re- you were reading the text, I, I was admiring your, your choice there. I thought you put them <laughs> on the line pretty tough. Uh, what uh, is involved here, of course, we, we mentioned it's part of the Passion account, but it's it's a particular moment in the Passion account that doesn't give the background, it doesn't give the resolution. So it really is kind of in the middle. That's a really, really good question. Here, in this kind of situation, I would still be looking for the problem, and I certainly see, and I won't, again, with the, the preachers can't hear this, so I'm certainly looking for Judas betraying Jesus. I'm looking for the zealous disciples trying to answer in their own way. Uh, Ultimately, I'm also looking at that last verse, verse 53, this hour and the power of darkness are yours. There is a huge problem. We've got Judas, we've got the other disciples, and of course we've got all all the Jewish uh, leaders who have sent those to arrest who are working in darkness. they, They are dark as to what Jesus' mission for their salvation is. He comes to be Judas' Savior. He comes to be the the Savior of the disciples and all the Jews. Um, But they're not seeing that. And and, and so I'm going to ask myself, well, when they are so blind as they are in this situation, how does Christ crucified still answer? Um, Just about 30 seconds here, Dr. Fikensher. There you go. Jesus, of course, would have been Judas's savior if Judas had not despaired. And Jesus was the savior for each of these as well. So how do we find ourselves betraying Jesus, being overzealous in our own way, or just being dark to what Jesus uh, has to say to us? And then I'll answer that question from, from the bigger context beyond these uh, nine verses. Well, we'll have to see if our preachers can uh, do that very task in the next segment of the program. We'll uh, bring our preachers back in. So, uh, uh, Pastor Wolfner, how's it going over there? Fine. I'm just about to write amen, so don't stop quite yet. <laughs> you got just a few <laughs> seconds. And uh, uh, Pastor Roseboro, how's your sermon coming along? I, I'm trying to put some spit polish on it as we speak. <laughs> Very good. Well, we will be right back. You are listening to Table Talk Ready. We're playing the game Iron Preacher. When we get back from this break, we'll be hearing the sermon from the challenger, Pastor Roseboro. Don't go away. You're on Table Talk Radio.
Table Talk Radio. It's incredible how well our good looks translate to radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. I think, Brian, you were going to pick some new bumping music, weren't you? Yeah, I was, and hearing this reminded me why. Is that on your to-do list? It should be. I'm going to add it right now. I'll be at it while while you put me in the sound booth. That's right. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, best bump-in music in the world. We are playing the game Iron Preacher and uh, had a great conversation in the first segment with Dr. Carl Fikincher, professor of homiletics. That's preaching, by the way, professor of preaching at uh, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Beautiful Fort Wayne. And um, in the first segment here, we hear the sermon from our challenger and less the... uh, the, the 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 iron preacher be tempted to uh uh to plagiarize you know that that the the yeah. spirit is willing but the flesh is weak um here in the garden of eden or the garden of gethsemane uh we'll go ahead and put pastor wolfmuller in the sound booth so say goodbye to all the listeners goodbye listener <laughs> and he's going to take <laughs> take care of some of those uh those emails all right so uh pastor roseborough you have 5 minutes to deliver your sermon based on Luke 22 39 through 50 oh sorry 47 through 53 no for fair changing now yeah all right you ready go ahead in the name of jesus amen, amen. We read from our gospel text today that a man called Judas, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' close associates, he was leading them, these are the guards of the temple, to Jesus. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, some of the most memorable movies and stories that I can remember are those where the bad guy seems to win, or worse, the good guy dies. I remember years and years ago, the first time my son and I watched Gladiator together. And at the very, very end, my son was weeping because Maximus died. And he looked at me with absolute horror and just said, Dad, Maximus died. He's dead. And I said, I know, son. You see, our gospel text here is a lot like that kind of story where the good guy dies. The good guy doesn't win. Evil has got the upper hand. And if you're thinking, well, how on earth does this apply to me? I I don't understand what's going on here. How can this be? Well, here's the idea. Scripture is teaching us that Christ is going to his death for our sins, for your sins, and for mine. And we are all a lot like Judas. And if you say, well, no, no, really, Pastor, I'm not a lot like Judas, I would say you, you need to pay closer attention to Scripture. This applies to you far more than you think. I think to Peter's sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 3, where he's preaching to a crowd, a crowd that wasn't even there on the day when Jesus was crucified, and he literally points his bony apostolic finger at the crowd, and he says to them, you denied the holy and the righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. You see, brothers and sisters, this story, as terrible as it is, make no mistake about it, you actually are not one of the good guys in the story. You are one of the bad guys. 
you are the one who has denied Christ by your sin, by your rebellion, by joining with the devil in all of his ways, the father of lies, through your blasphemies, through your through your lying, your idolatry, your coveting, all of these ways in which you have betrayed Christ. And you are responsible for what is transpiring in this gospel text. Now, you may be saying, well, but pastor, pastor, come on, surely, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I can't possibly be siding with Judas. I've got to be one of the disciples here. But remember, the disciples, well, their solution to the problem, well, it didn't go so well. It only made things worse. Yeah, that wasn't love for neighbor that Peter showed when he cut off that fellow's ear. And Jesus says, enough of all of this. Enough of all of this. And so Jesus says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour. This is the hour and the power, if you would, of darkness. You see, the way the story unfolds, true light, which has come into the world, that's Jesus Christ, the one who is the light of the world. He has come into the world, and he has now subjected himself to the powers of darkness. And all of this is to save you and me, the Judases and the Peters alike, those who are not holy, who need a savior. God's solution to this problem was not to flex political muscle, but to instead bend the head, take a knee, and let evil take its course. And all of this was to save us, to save us from the wrath of God, to save us from receiving what we deserve, but ultimately to save us from the dominion of darkness. Paul writes thus in Colossians 1, We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you and I to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, because he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. You see, here in this text, the hour of darkness is where Jesus begins his passion, his brutal, terrible death on the cross, his scourging and suffering, and the crown of thorns being pressed into his head, so that by submitting himself to death under the dominion of darkness, we might be forgiven of our sins, our rebellion against God. And through that, we have been now transferred to the dominion of light, into the kingdom of his Son. You see, he was submitted to darkness so that we can join him in light. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 That was a bit of a buzzer beater. Got that all men. I mean, just, just off the fingertips as the buzzer went off. So he got that, that in just in time. Um, all right. So let's bring, let's bring the, the iron preacher uh, back in so he can. Hey, hey. He, oh, how, how many emails did you get to in that? Uh, I'm working on the Wednesday whatnot. Sign okay. up at wolfmuller.co. Yeah, shameless plug during the during the show. Um, uh, I, I have to say, Pastor Wolfmuller, I'm a little worried for you. Um, not only is, was that a fantastic sermon, but I know that that uh, Pastor Roseboro uh, spends like 50 percent of his day listening to sermons and critiquing them. So um, <laughs> if he, if anyone knows preaching, it's probably him. But I want to turn it to, to Dr. Prekencher first. What strengths did you hear in the sermon by Pastor Roseboro? 
Well, I'll second what you said. That was a marvelous sermon. Five Uh-oh. minutes and it, it right on the button. That part's good anyway, but oh, uh, with uh, that amount of preparation, beautifully done. A uh, fabulous law gospel sermon. You know, uh, uh, Pastor Roseborough didn't get to track what I said in the seven minutes before, but really it was exactly what I would go to. I'd, I'd look for the problems in the text, and he looked at uh, two problems, Judas as the bad guy, and then also Peter as the bad guy. It wasn't loving his neighbor when he cut off the, the, uh, the ear of the servant of, of, the, of the high priest. Uh, both of those are, put ourselves in the position of desperately needing to be delivered from darkness, and he did that beautifully. I love the Colossians 1 text. It's one I've used many times. It's very picturesque. It was a great way to get us to the cross. The cross was clear and explicit, and what you did very nicely, Pastor, was to show how the cross was the specific answer to this text, the forgiveness of those very sins we find ourselves in, like Judas and Peter, and even the imagery of the darkness now being delivered to the kingdom of the saints in light. I also appreciate a couple of uh, a, a nice uh, rhetorical flourishes. I love the illustration of watching Gladiator with your son. Uh, I watched it uh, for the first time as an adult, and I'd be terrified for my son to see it. It was, it was pretty grisly at uh, a lot of junctures along the way. Uh, I was afraid you're going to take. No, I wasn't really afraid. I knew you wouldn't take us to uh, the Elysian Field, where after after Maximus dies, he gets to be with his wife and son r- frolicking in the fields. I knew you wouldn't take us there. That the uh, analogy would have broken down there. <laughs> but the illustration was great of the bad guy seeming to win. And I also loved the rhetorical flourish of the bony apostolic finger. Yeah, that was saying, great. You killed the Christ. Yeah. yeah, that was good. I, I, I've always seen Peter's a pretty lusty guy, and the bony apostolic finger is a little different picture for me. I like that. That was, that was vivid. Is there anything from the sermon Man, that... Man, I had bony apostolic finger, and you guys are going to think that I stole that from Chris. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah we, right. we do, as a matter of fact, Pastor. We, in fact, we're really sure you stole it. <laughs> this sounds like the exact same sermon. What's going on? By golly. <laughs> now, um, is there anything that uh, you think could improve Pastor Roseboro's sermon? Uh, to be honest, I thought it was a very nice, complete piece there. I, it, it, it honestly did nail for me what the specific problem was and answered it very directly. Uh, uh, would everyone come up with the same sermon and, and still be excellent? Probably not. Probably different people would come up with excellent sermons that would work as well. But, but uh, this, to me, was really pretty much on target, uh, which also means that I sort of second what uh, Evan said, uh, Pastor Wolfmuller, about... A little nervous for you, my man. <laughs> but but you see, Pastor, if if you if you pull this one off, it will be pretty doggone impressive. Pastor Roseboro will, will will not go home vanquished, that's for sure. He he he's a champion. That 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 part's for sure. And and, and if you can come up with a uh, a thirty foot long jump on your last attempt, we're all going to applaud you, buddy. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just hoping that Pastor Wolf, when their sermon here in the next segment doesn't end up in the sermon cage fighting segment of fighting for the faith later this week. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So without a, that is yet to be seen, folks, and that is right after this break. You are listening to Table Talk Radio, and we are playing Iron Preacher with our guest, uh, Dr. Carl Fikencher of Concordia Theological Seminary and Pastor Chris Roseborough of Ossinger Lutheran Church and also Pirate Christian Radio. When we get back from this break, we're going to be hearing the sermon from the Iron Preacher, Pastor Wolfmuller himself. 
and see if his sermon can muster up to what uh, what we just heard with Pastor Roseboro. If you have a comment or question about anything you hear in today's broadcast, we do want to hear from you. The toll-free number is 1-800-385-SOLA. 1-800-385-7652 is the number. We also get your emails and we like to uh, read those on the air. The email address is questions at tabletalkradio.org. Questions at tabletalkradio.org. And if you do the Facebook thing, we're on that too. You have to look that up on facebook.com, tabletalk radio. Iron Just Preacher. Click on Facebook, and I'm sure we'll come up. Right after this. It's closed, though. You have to get an invitation. Talk Radio. Unscripted, unprepared, unashamed. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, where Pastor Wolf Miller is uh, is doing his warm ups before he steps into the pulpit. You know, little. That's right. <laughs> hey, whatever happened to the Iron Preacher intro music? I know the uh, the 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 announcer guy. You know, ACDC is on vacation right now, so we couldn't do your intro. <laughs> But uh, I'm yeah. used to it because that's what we do at church. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Flammy, uh, Pastor Flammy runs the spotlight, doesn't he? <laughs> he runs a smoke machine. Oh, okay. All right. Um, whenever you're ready, Pastor Wolfmuller, uh, five minutes for your sermon on Luke 22. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Permit it even this. In the garden, the first garden, the Lord came with curses, and he says to Adam, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow you will eat of it all the days of your life. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve and all of the, his posterity inherit a sorrow that leads to death. Now Jesus is in the Garden and he says to us, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And he prays that the cup of God's wrath would pass from him, but it cannot be any other way. So he is handed over to the will of his enemies. The hour of darkness, the hour of the enemies of Christ has come, as Jesus says. But Jesus' word, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of this assault, says, permit even this. Judas comes to betray his rabbi, his master, his Lord, the one who would be his savior, to betray him with a kiss, to indicate that this is the one that should be arrested and bound, and Jesus says, permit even this. Peter pulls out his sword and tries to defend Jesus with force, cutting off the ear of Malchus. But Jesus, touching his ear, restores it, tells Peter to put away the sword and says, Permit even this. So with torches and ropes, they bind Jesus and drag him off to the Sanhedrin. And Jesus says, Permit even this, because this is his passion. That means this is Jesus being passive, suffering sin and death and the devil 
for you. And it doesn't stop there in the garden. It keeps going. The lies of the accusers permit even this. The accusations of the high priests permit even this. The mockery of uh, and political machinations of Pontius Pilate permit even this. The nails, the whip, the spit, the slapping, the mockery, the crown of thorns, the robe of purple, the stripping, the dragging Jesus to the cross permit even this, says Jesus. The nails and the, and the, and the bleeding and the lifting up for all the world to see, the shame of the cross that he despised, and even worse, the wrath of God being stricken and smitten by God because of you. Permit even this, says Jesus, because he is there to be betrayed, to be bound, to be led as a lamb to the slaughter for you. So Jesus hands himself over to the hour of darkness, to the hour of sin, to the hour of death, to the hour of his enemies. He hands himself over to the wrath of God and the justice of God for you. He's letting sin claim him so that he can claim you. He's letting death consume him so that he can rescue you. He's, read, he's, he's letting the wrath of God smite him so that he can forgive you all your sins. So permit even this, says Jesus, so that when the devil comes to bind you with a fear of death, Jesus says, I do not permit that. When the fear of death and when your sin would come and threaten you, Jesus says, I do not permit that. When death would claim you as its own, Jesus says, I do not permit that because he has destroyed these things. His victory, one in the garden, is your victory and your peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So leaving one amen. minute and nine seconds left on the clock is the Iron Preacher. The question is, Dr. Frickenter, is that going to work against the Iron Preacher? Not at all. Uh, if you can do what you want to do in less than the time that uh, other, another man might take, that's, that's a plus. Not a, not a problem there at all. The question always is, not a matter of how long or how short, but did you do the things that you wanted to do? Did you, did you deliver the goods? That's the question. All right. So, what uh, what did what um, positive aspects? What, what did you want you see? me to answer the question? What did what did you see that? Oh yeah, please answer the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. That's uh, I, I asked the question. If you want me to give the give my thoughts on whether he delivered the goods, I'm happy to do that's so. That's what I'm most interested in. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you you neither of these two preachers made it easy for the judge. That's that's a sure thing. And uh, Evan, you, you 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 pick real contestants here, guys who can hold their own. Both of these were marvelously done. Uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller's sermon was 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 wonderful, uh, rhetorically uh, just very skilled. The the use of the refrain "permit even this," ultimately I do not permit that, uh, was a, a very very nice nice piece. And uh, and it was more than just just uh, a good show. It was really very very uh, very relevant to the text. It was a fine development of the text, frankly. Uh, it, taking from uh, the text uh, an element that really is shocking. Uh, no one other than someone who has been enlightened by Scripture itself uh, would understand why Christ would permit even this. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, St. Paul talks about the foolishness of the cross, and it sure does look foolish for him to let this happen when, when he's so capable of, 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 of turning this aside. I think every one of us uh, at some point along, along the line would say, well, Jesus, just, just shut them down. Don't let this happen. You know, stop it. Stop it. And Jesus permits even this. 
Um, I, I uh, did not at all mind your uh, background there, taking us back to the Garden of Eden, uh, taking us back to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane just moments before this text. Uh, you got us into the story of the text very nicely. And, uh, of course, uh, as did Pastor Roseboro, you got us to the cross wonderfully. Um, the one thing that I would say that I would love to have heard more, and perhaps another minute could have, could have done this, might have been to develop a bit more that from which we were being delivered. Uh, there, were, there were plenty of references to, for you, Christ was doing this for each one of us, uh, to deliver us from our sins uh, and, and uh, from the guilt that we feel. But that still could have been explored a bit more, the, the sins that we see in ourselves as we look at this text, and also the desperation, the darkness that we experience as we see ourselves in this text. That was mentioned in, in the, the very broad terms of sin and darkness, but the sin and the darkness weren't unpacked as specifically as I think could have been done, might have been ideal. Okay, good words. Um, now, but we have a few minutes here before you render your judgment, so I just want to ask you another question on, on homiletics. Um, sure. When you have a historical text like this that's describing the events, uh, how, do you, how do you stay between that fine line of, of having a real law application and a real gospel application versus completely allegorizing and saying, you know, oh, uh, so— you know, th this is the the kiss in your life, and this this kind of a, a yeah. way of preaching. Yeah, good, good. Uh, both preachers avoided that very nicely. N neither one uh, went with that kind of allegory. In fact, early on, I, I thought that Pastor Roseboro might be uh, about to go there uh, after he mentioned Judas and the kiss, and of course, Pastor Wolf Mueller as well, uh, mentioning the kiss. But neither one of them did what you described. We call it allegorizing. Sometimes we call it spiritualizing, uh, where you take basically a, a word or a phrase or even an image in the text and, and, and pretend that it's saying something uh, that it really isn't at all. Um, you know, we, we don't kiss Jesus in betrayal, but we do betray Jesus. We don't draw our sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear, but we definitely do take God's things into our own hands and, and try to be uh, the savior of situations that God himself alone can save. Uh, so uh, you really do want to look at uh, the particular real-life things that are parallel to the examples of the text rather than just trying to play with the language. The language is helpful. The language is colorful. It gives us some nice images, but the applications uh, don't really come from the images that way. Illustrations can, yes, but the actual applications should be the real-life things that, that we do, and, and we've given examples of, of that here. So that's what I would say. Um, you're, you are really looking for real-life examples for our time that actually parallel the real-life examples from their time. Other examples of this, you know, are, are things like uh, seeing a man who has leprosy and saying that's the leprosy of sin. Well, of course, it is true that leprosy is in the world because of sin, but a, a leper comes to Jesus calling out, uh, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, and, and he really isn't asking for the, the, uh, the, sin, the, the, the leprosy of sin to be forgiven, and that's a bigger gift that he needs. But really what he's asking for is, the, is physical leprosy to be removed, and Jesus graciously does that. Of course, he does that 
also because the sin that would cause not just physical leprosy, but every other disaster and every other illness and every other cause of death in this world has been removed by Jesus' death on the cross. So when the, when the text is promising real-life uh, physical blessings of that nature, then we are able to give, uh, to give that as well uh, through the same agency, that is, the cross as long, of course, as we don't offer things that God doesn't offer, which would be all kinds of, uh, of felt needs that we might like to see filled. So just about 30 seconds here. Name your winner. Well, perhaps Pastor Wolf Mueller has already assessed that I thought this was a magnificent 29-foot-long jump. It's just <laughs> that Pastor Roseboro had gone 29-8. Oh. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, really, what I would say, yeah, yeah, what I would say is that both were magnificent uses of the text, really very textual in both cases. I thought that Pastor Roseboro was more concrete in his law applications, which then lets the hearer feel relieved when the gospel is pronounced all that, more, that much more clearly. All right, so congratulations, Pastor Roseboro. Thank you. And Dr. Frickenter, thank you for taking the time to come on uh, Iron Preacher on today's Table Talk Radio, and we look forward to having you on again. Always my pleasure. God's blessings to all of you. Stay tuned to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Why don't we just get some of Chris's open source music? Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, because... I think if we were playing Iron Bump... Preacher, now we would also lose. Now, <laughs> now, now that uh, he's a uh, Iron Preacher champion, the cost of that music has gone up dramatically. Still on the line with Pastor Chris Roseboro. He's on the hunt these days. Did you, have you noticed this, Pastor Wolf Miller? Yeah, he I noticed. He is like the, uh, you know those those uh, those air horns that go off when there's like a tornado in town that mm-hmm. warn you. He's like the the heresy air horn, the the alert. <laughs> That goes off to let you know what's going on uh, in spirituality today, and uh, there's no there's no um, shortage of of heresy these days. And uh, Chris is going to talk to us today about the new apostolic reformation. Chris, where's this come from? Um, good question. The new apostolic reformation is kind of a subset of the broader Pentecostal and Charismatic movements. And it has its roots in a movement called the Latter Rain. Uh, the Latter Rain, uh, the Assemblies of God, back I think in the 40s, actually declared it to be a heresy. This is when the AOG actually still cared about something <laughs> to do with doctrine. And they declared the, this thing to be a heresy. And some of the fathers of it would be like William Branham and, and, uh, and guys like that. And uh, in, it, literally in the past couple of de- decades, we've seen the rise of the claim that uh, God has restored not only prophets to the Church, but He has restored apostles. You know, they, they'll, they'll openly say that there have been no apostles, you know, since, uh, you know, since the death of the apostles, and that God now has restored the apostles to the Church for the very specific reason of giving strategies, you know, strategies to networks and movements and uh, groups of churches 
for the purposes of taking dominion, conquering the seven mountains, and then ultimately by taking dominion and operating in signs and wonders, that it'll lead to some billion-soul harvest, which then kind of plays into their eschatology. Once, once the church kind of conquers and takes dominion, then Jesus comes back and kind of says, well done, finally you guys got your act together and took control of everything, and uh, now that you've taken dominion, I'm going to be king. And, and it's just this, this strange cocktail of just bizarre doctrines. And, uh, you know, people like the... Um, the editor-in-chief of Charisma Magazine, Jennifer LeClaire, she's steeped in this. Bill Johnson of and Chris Vallotton of Bethel Church, they are you know, major players in it. And uh, Shay On and, and Todd Bentley and Rick Joyner and Cindy Jacobs, these, these, this is kind of the, that particular group. And um, they, I literally have come to the conclusion that these people, not only they, have they stopped even trying to make their stuff sound biblical, I think they've gotten to the point where they've stopped even trying to make what they sound, what they're saying, even sound like it's rational. I mean, it's it's just that crazy now. What in, in theology, it's sometimes helpful to organize uh, theological theological thought in the formal principle, material principle, as you know, the the formal principle where one gets uh, their theology, and the material principle, mm-hmm. the heart and center of one's theology. What's the What's the material principle of the New Apostolic Reformation? That's really a good question. Um, where we would say that, you know, justification by grace through faith alone, um, I really believe that their, uh, their material principle is going to be, um, they'll call it something like the kingdom of God, um, you know, or the gospel of the kingdom. That might be a better way of putting it. And they make a distinction between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation is the thing that kind of gets you into it. But the gospel of the kingdom is, is, is kind of the center piece of all of that they do. And under that big umbrella of the, uh, of the gospel of the kingdom uh, is the, uh, the, the reasoning that in order to take dominion and to evangelize and things like that, that Christians must operate in, in miraculous signs and wonders uh, in order to gain, gain street credibility with unbelievers so that they can bring them to Jesus, um, and that they might visibly manifest the kingdom of God among themselves uh, for the purposes of, like we said, you know, the, ultimately the kingdom uh, coming to earth. So I would say for sure the material principle then, I would say it's the gospel of the kingdom. That, that's... What's... Go ahead. What's, Go ahead, the, what's the Seven Mountains business? That, that must have something to do with that. Yeah, uh, it, 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 the Seven Mountains is a strategy. Um, so the, uh, the Seven Mountains mandate, it, it's claimed that Bill Bright uh, received this direct revelation from God as far as a strategy for how the church is to take dominion. And so all, all, of, this, all of society, and you have to think of this globally, not just locally, all of society is divided up into uh, seven major spheres of influence or mountains. So like the mountain of government, the mountain of business, the, um, you know, it, it, things of this nature, uh, entertainment and stuff like that. Um, and the, 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 what the idea then is, is that uh, Christians in the NAR are to consciously and strategically insert themselves 
into these different mountains uh, for the purpose of rising to the top and taking dominion of that mountain. And this is where it actually kind of gets a little bit scary, is that uh, many of the theological advisors for Donald Trump are actually part of the NAR and are open advocates of, this, of the Seven Mountains uh, uh, strategy. And so they, they, in their way of thinking, in their way of parlance, they've positioned themselves quite strategically on the mountain of government for the purpose of taking dominion. When you talked about the material principle being the kingdom of God, that reminds me of language that we heard from the emerging church. Is there a connection between the two, or is that just coincidental? Um, it's, it's similar language um, and it, it, in kind of a similar concept as far as eschatology. If you remember the emergent church, uh, they, their eschatology, they called it an eschatology of hope, which they basically got from Jürgen Moltmann. Um, and, the, and the basic concept here is, is that the, the purpose of the church is to, uh, is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. But in the emergent view, it's not by taking dominion of the seven mountains. In the emergent view, it's by doing social justice. And so uh, they've got kind of a, you know, a left-wing liberal approach to the kingdom. So the way they'll argue is, is that, well, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the, the, the NAR person sees that in the Lord's Prayer, and they say that means we need to visibly manifest uh, signs and wonders. Uh, we need to heal, you know, have miraculous healings and, and things like that. Whereas the emergent, they would say that there's no poverty in heaven, and so we need to get busy uh, solving the problem of systemic poverty and uh, making sure that everyone has clean water. And so the idea then is, is that the manifestation of the kingdom is through social justice and the eradication of like human trafficking and, and, uh, and, and poverty and things like that. So similar concept, but a slightly different focus. You mentioned the push to be involved in government. What? Um, so, so where do you where do you see that? Can you point to some names and what you know what uh, like where they're showing up on Fox News talking about whatnot? Well, um, I, I would point you to like uh, you know like Rick Perry of Texas, um, you know Cindy Jacobs and uh, and Rick Joyner and people like that. Um, even Paula White, who uh, gave the uh, the uh, this this one of the prayers at the inauguration, she's, she seems to be steeped in this stuff, too. And then, so look for videos of, like, uh, of Donald Trump hanging out with, like, Lance Wallnow. That's another fellow. I mean, that guy is straight up Seven Mountain Mandate, Dominionist NAR guy, and uh, he, is, you know, he is quite close now with Donald Trump and you know, is openly talking about him and talking to him. And so those are the types of people that you're really looking for. Is this something that's uh, kind of staying in its own sex, or is this bleeding into denominational um, uh, churches and you know pastors that are trying to be hip? Um, I will say this: that the, uh, the 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 NAR is quite militant, very active, and um, you know, literally any church that they can weasel their way into, they're trying to weasel their way into it. They're not content to stay within. The uh, the charismatic of the Pentecostal movements, they're they they are literally actively trying to find inroads into denominational churches, into non-denominational churches. Um, you know, I I've been receiving emails from people down in Australia 
uh, where there's this growing, what they call the Lutheran Renewal Movement, and it's heavily uh, saturated with NAR uh, concepts and, and talk. And so, uh, you know, let's just say that the charismatic movement down in Australia in the Lutheran Renewal is literally being spearheaded by NAR people. Hmm. That's crazy. So and so they so like uh, Evan suggested, they're they're trying to work their way into all the different denominations, like a, you know, like the uh, these all these kind of Gnostic heresies and this sort of thing. You just latch on to whatever bureaucracy is there and contaminate the water. Yeah. No. I I, I liken it to a cancer, and it's literally spreading throughout the entire body of Christ. Well. Uh... Pastor Roseborough, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to educate us on on the things that we're too ignorant of. <laughs> and thank you especially for showing yeah. the Iron Preacher yeah. a thing or two in homiletics. <laughs> thank you. Hey, if people wanted to know more about the NAR, what, what do you suggest? What are the next steps? Um, there's a, a book by Holly Pivik on the New Apostolic Reformation. I would go to Amazon and uh, and get a copy of that book. Uh, the name of it is The New Apostolic Reformation. It's written by uh, Douglas Givet and Holly Pivik. Um, I've interviewed Holly on my uh, radio program, and uh, we have a growing number of resources over at FightingForTheFaith.com related to the New Apostolic Reformation. And um, you know, we're, I'm actually making a conscious effort uh, weekly to make sure to include uh, things related to the NAR uh, in order to warn people so that they can be on their guard against uh, their inroads into their own churches. Well, it's uh, Chris Roseborough of Fighting for the Faith. Check him out at piratechristian.com. Thanks, Chris, for coming on. Thank you, Evan. And thanks for thanks listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like my sermon series on the seven mountains. <laughs> That's a good one, I heard. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the cabalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.